Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, with us today are two former blue chip marketers that are now in startup and challenger land. One from the Commonwealth Bank and one from Diageo, Stuart Tucker and Adam Ballesty. Stuart's now at Trading Marketplace uh, High Pages as the Chief Customer Officer, uh, which is a $70 billion sector. I bet you didn't know that. And Adam, who was at Diageo as the CMO, is now General Manager Asia Pacific at, wait for it, non-alcoholic spirit startup Seedlip, which Diageo, by the way, has taken a minority stake in. With that little bit there, this conversation is about to get interesting. So welcome to both Adam and Stuart. Uh, Stuart Tucker, we'll start with you first. Crazy days with everyone at home now, though. What the hell is going on in demand for tradies and consumer demand for tradies? Is high pages, and listen, it's for everyone. We all fall into one of these camps. Is, is it facing a demand boom, a demand collapse, or something in between? Where is it at for you, Stuart Tucker, and how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Paul. Uh, enjoying working from home. Um, you know, spend a bit of quality time with family for once, which is great. Look, look, I'd say that we're probably in the in-between category and it's definitely been a roller coaster. What we've found is that our results have very closely um, followed the government sentiment, uh, the consumer sentiment and the government announcements. So in mid-March, just after, you know, that the term lockdown was used, which I think was a bit of an in- incorrect description because we were never at the stage that Italy was, for example. We definitely saw consumers' sentiment bottom out where people were anxious and uncertain and probably lo- not looking to commit money. But what we found is that as people are spending more time at home, there's definitely a bounce back happening. And we think that's driven by a couple of factors. You know, number one, People are spending more time at home and they're noticing those little things that they could probably put up with before or the jobs that need doing, the little bit of flaky paint here or there or a loose door handle. And the other fact that we think is going on is that people have attempted their own DIY. Uh, Bunnings has been booming. And then they realise it's beyond their capability, so they've got to turn to a platform like Highpages and get the proper tradies to come in and fix their handiwork. And so, literally, uh, they are doing searches. Are they coming direct to you? How how are you seeing that activity? And when did that kick in? Well, pretty much from the beginning of April. Our low point was the twenty third to the twenty fifth of March, and then we've seen a steady incline since then. But we're we're seeing people basically being at home. So a couple of things are happening as well. One is that the days of the week are smoothing out a little bit. We used to see Monday as our peak when people had been on the weekend and coming to work. But as we all know, the days are kind of blurring between themselves. And the other one is they're going online to search. And and last Sunday, for example, we had the highest level of organic search, search traffic to our site that we've had on a Sunday for three years. So People are coming in, they're looking for things to do, and they're looking to get jobs done around their house. Well, interesting there, they are, it sounds like they're at least willing to spend something. There's a predisposition there to spend a little bit. Well, there definitely is. And obviously, a, a site like Hypay just covers a small job that might be $100 to fix a, a loose towel rail, you know, in your bathroom with a handyman right up to a full house build. And look, I think with 
with anxiety about financial position, people are probably looking to put off those bigger jobs, but they're definitely looking to get the little stuff done around their homes, that's for sure. What have you been doing uh, in terms of your marketing priorities since this hit? It must have upended everything for you as well, though. So what are the first things you did and how different is it looking now to what it was six weeks ago? Well, we definitely moved into a bit of a war room approach. We were holding daily comms planning sessions in the early stages and now three times a week. And that was really to align our our key messages, review the media stories and analyze government announcements. And I guess the first thing we did was to get the basics right. We needed to make sure that we were totally aligned in our messaging across both of our, both sides of our platform. We needed to make sure the digital funnel was optimized. We needed to make sure our, our media plans were in place. And then after that, we moved into a position where we wanted to become, I guess, the lead the narrative in the industry, take a, a position of leadership in our category. And there's a lot of noise, there was a lot of noise going around. So we really got on the front foot and we used owned earned and paid media to tell our story. Um, we've driven more PR than we've ever done in the last 10 days than probably the last two or three months to really lead the market and, and take a, a position of authority. What was that messaging though, Stuart? What were you taking a leadership position on and what were you telling the market? And how did that, how was that different to the plans, I guess, that were in place, you know, a while back? Well, all the plans got really tipped upside down, at least from a, a messaging and a comms point of view. The, the first stage was really one of education. And there was a lot of confusion when the papers were using headlines like lockdown, as I said before, we needed to educate the market, uh, particularly the consumer and homeowner market, that tradies were still open for business. And we made that very clear across, um, out, out to our consumer base through EDM, the PR stories were, were pretty relentless, and then our paid media did the same. And once we sort of got through that stage, we moved into the second stage, which was about advocacy. And this was really us rep representing the tradies to the general population and, and more broadly, to ensure that they were treated as essential services. Well, I think you might have even, even been advertising and taking pages out uh, in the Australian, at least. Uh, what's a trade site doing in the Oz? Is it a little bit more, there's a little bit more bigger picture positioning here with the politicians, I suspect. Oh, look, I can't confirm nor deny that, Paul, but um, let's just let's just say that we uh, are opening our, our, our audience pool a little bit beyond the traditional homeowner in this instance. <laughs> well put, Stuart Tucker. Uh, so what happens? You talked about, you know, changing your comms and so forth. Uh, what's happened? Budget cuts? Have you cut? How much have you cut by? Are you still doing paid? What's your channel mix? What's going on there? Uh, all of our channels are still open for business. Uh, we've seen a bit of trimming of our paid search budget, but that's more in line with, with traffic. Traffic being was down and, and now we're sort of riding it back up. We've definitely been investing in, in above the line, particularly through our, our friends at News Limited, who are 30% owners in our business. Uh, they've been very supportive of us as well. So we're definitely not going into our shells. We believe that we've got to be out there on the front foot, except for a bit of trimming of our paid search budget. It's um, business as usual for us, if not actually more presence in the market than before. And volumes of business for you, where are they sitting? How are they tracking in March versus the rest of the earlier in the year? Early March was strong for us. And then, as I said, we, we bottomed out around about the, the 25th of March and volumes in terms of jobs posted on our platform were, were down you know, more than 30%. But we're back up to being within 10% of our original targets um, on a on a day in day out basis, and um, you know we're, we're we're riding the wave and making sure that we're 
present in the markets that are still functioning. So there's a lot of work out there for outdoor outdoor jobs, handymen, um, simple painting jobs. Uh, so we're, we're riding the market. And the beauty that we've got being a digital platform is we can see all of our results literally in real time down to the minute. And we can be moving in a pretty agile way to be staying with the market. It's, it's fascinating that even, even the fact that people are spending, you know, there's a lot of talk obviously about consumer confidence and so forth. So we might circle back around on that once we uh, hear from Adam Ballesty. Adam Ballesty, uh, welcome for the uninitiated. What the hell is a non-alcoholic spirits brand? And how's that going right now when everyone's sort of reaching for a glass, I suspect? Challenging but fascinating. We should give the, the listeners a little bit of context. You were at Diageo until about two years ago, I think. Had a brief stint at Fox Sports um, and now gone to an Asia-Pacific role as general manager uh, for Seedlet. Tell us a little bit a bit about the category because um, you must be looking at some very, very interesting challenges at the moment. Good morning and thanks for having me. Yes, yeah, so I, I met the guys at Seedlet back in 2016. He was pretty new, a guy called Ben Branson. He sort of just came from a place of he wanted full flavour, but he was out at a restaurant and he didn't want the drink you know, the alcohol part. So he wanted to be an adult. And this is in the UK, Adam, right? This is in the UK. And he sort of just popped in for a cup of tea one morning just to say hi. And I fell in love with it and we stayed in contact. And then I had a really, really great time at Diageo, six years, loved that place to pieces. And I sort of stepped out and for all the right reasons and the right time and everyone, including me, needed growth and change. And I was going to have some time off, but I did jump into Fox Sports for a quick sort of 10 seconds and jumped out really fast. Um, and then they they sort of knocked on the door and, and I jumped at the chance to sort of pop out of marketing and pop out of you know Australia. So Seedlip is literally made like a, a, a botanical, you know, so gin-like. We don't have juniper, so it's not a gin, but we're a distilled non-alcoholic spirit. So you make it like you do an alcohol. But there's part of a process that's a very, very old process that comes from medicine where you can take the alcohol out of the process. So you get the full flavour without the booze. And, and that's important for a lot of people. Tuesday night, pregnant women, people that are abstaining for a month or, or whatever. So there's a big market and it's growing. The fastest growing category of beer in the world is zero alk beer. So there's definitely a trend there. And you're in the spirit side. And so Seedlip is is, is a, a company that's expanded. It's in the US, it's in, across Europe and, and Asia, Asia Pacific. So it's gone global quite quickly. Diageo has taken a minority stake. Your role, what are you seeing? We'll get back to how you're finding the transition between going from sort of marketing to general management. But what's happening with the business right now, Adam? And, and you know, is it a fair point? Was it, it was a quip, but alcohol is booming at the moment and, and you're not an you don't have alcohol. Sure is. And I'll just talk about Australia because we'd need three hours to talk about the region. You can imagine the different stages that Asia Pacific is in. Um, I've got some countries like India that are in complete lockdown, zero sales. Um, China, zero sales for two and a half months. So I'll just talk about Australia. You know, Dan Murphy's has had its third biggest day of the financial year, and it was on a Monday behind Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. I've been into a few Dan Murphys, so many people. But, you know, as we talked about, no one at this stage of isolation is reaching for the non-booze booze. They're, they're trying to make double Negronis, right? Yes. What are you doing, Stuart? I've definitely had a couple of deliveries from Dan Murphys. Right, okay. Uh, but are you doing beer or are you doing spirits or what's the, what's the choice? Wine, probably. You're a cultured man. 
I am a cultured man. I, I don't. We don't really drink much at home, so I haven't really changed my consumption habits. But it's it's a couple of beers followed by a nice bottle of wine. Righto. So okay, uh, back to you. Sorry, Adam, but it was keep keep telling the tale because it's a good one. So, so you know, like I, I think that our, our volumes are definitely down. We've got great distribution gains this year. Coles and Woolies are both great supporters of what we're trying to do, what the category's trying to do, um, and that has slowed down. Um, so we're a bit stunted, but we're and, and of course, for us as a business, we need to trial because I can say the words to you and it doesn't make sense. We make all the sense in the world when you taste us. You're like, wow, that's a delightful drink. So we can't hand out samples in Dan Murphy's. We can't go to events. None of those things exist. That's probably where it's getting a bit tricky for us. And we're trying to work out how we how do we sort of play going forward but you do have a, a sort of back pocket plan really which is that you think that as people uh, adjust to self-isolation or working from home and staying at home and they get through the alcohol phase of maybe the first four weeks they may come around yeah i, I reckon they have to pull i just and we're seeing a little bit of it on on instagram and and people that we're following uh, you, you know, I think there's a fear that people are going to walk out of their home, you know, in three to six months and they're going to look the, the size of a square or a circle. And and so we're seeing this dual economy, lots of people downloading fitness apps, uh, lots of people sort of sharing their workouts, lots of people going into detox and lots of people ordering a hell of a lot of stuff for, for Dan Murphy's. So there's this, you know, I, I'm the classic Aussie consumer right now. At seven o'clock the other morning, I got a delivery from uh, Rebel Sport for a, a pair of running shoes. And 10 minutes later, I got a Negroni kit from Cocktail Porter, which had all the ingredients for it. And that's that's the Aussie market. But I think at some point soon, people are going to start putting down the wine and putting down the beers and, and giving themselves boundaries about Monday to Friday. You know, like Stuart said, we don't drink a lot at home. What we're seeing is people are starting to see this as the normal and they can't keep doing what they're doing. So what happens for you in terms of your, your your marketing activity and what you've been doing? You talked about sampling and events being a really important part of it. You, you know, you're out there in the bars and restaurants as well, I guess, getting people to taste it. You can't do that anymore. That What do you do? Yeah, we're not, we're not hunting down new menu lists. You know, we're here to change the way the world drinks. So we want you to walk into a bar and, and see a non-alc cocktail list. And, and we're fighting for those pages every day. So we're not going into pubs, bars, restaurants. We're not tasting. We're not doing master classes and educating bartenders. Um, so we're living in a digital world who's currently selling in, in you know, liquor stores. And that's our world. So our pivot is partnering harder with Dan's and Coles and the independents with their digital game. They're the digital platforms that people are buying from. Um, they don't buy a lot of direct from you know, a single brand. So, so we're trying to work through ways through that. And, and globally, we have a really lovely Instagram and Facebook community, and we've been doing a really good job here in Australia of growing that quickly. Um, and so we're doing things like Mindful Mondays. So on Instagram, we'll get one of our sort of great partners and, and she will do a 15-minute yoga class. So again, just adding value, utility and charm to people's lives as they're looking at their phones more and more. We're also doing um, like Win With Kindness Wednesdays where we um, share a kind thing that you've done this week, right? And, and we'll, we'll, we'll send you out a bottle of C-Lip. 
Friends on Thursdays, where we're continuing to shout out and support the bars and places that have supported us. So when they open again, you know, we've been holding their hand and, and sort of giving them a shout out with our community and all that sort of stuff. So we're just finding new ways in the digital world to add value, to be part of the journey um, and, and to share the ride with everyone. I want to go to um, a little bit about the transition you've made out of classic brand and marketing into general management. And, and, and I'll go to Stu as well on this because, you know, obviously Chief Customer Office is a slightly different title to some of the previous ones you've had, Stuart. But first to you, Adam, the, in, in terms of uh, moving out of, you know, a career really in marketing and brand and then going to general management, what has been the biggest adjustments and, and what have you learnt you didn't have and what have you learnt that, oh, that's relevant, what my career has taken me here and I can use this? How, how big has that, that, that transition been for you? I was never going to be the general manager of a logistics company or a IT consultancy or, or something. You know, clearly my vernacular and, and world has been marketing. So, you know, a brand-led company was going to be my best shot at it. And, you know, Seedlip is all the booze without the booze. So it's the same category, same vernacular, same P&Ls, same language, same customers. So I've, I've been very lucky. The transition's been okay. And there's still a very big marketing, you know, part of that, right? Like we are an infancy brand. We've got three big regions who act independently to a certain degree. So I'm sort of helping nurture some, some of the senior marketers along and bring them together. So I can sort of dabble in the sort of the dark arts of, of marketing and, and sort of keep that bubbling along. But for, for me, it was just about growth and change. I wanted to see a different dance and I might go back to marketing one day, but I just wanted to see where I could take my commercial skills that I learned at Diageo and see where I could take them. The biggest transition has been, you know, in a small company, ordering the toilet paper. <laughs> yes, right. You know, like it's it's literally the, the end to end of running a business and the, the humbleness that comes from, you know, that end-to-end -end business and understanding logistics, operations, forecasting, I could always have an opinion, but I'm the one now in Excel sort of sharing them with the globe about my predictions on where we're going to go and signing up new countries and stuff, you know, like that's a whole new game for me. Right. And you talked about yield management and margin curves and so forth, which is something that you would go at DAs, you would say someone else has that. What, what, what are our numbers? Now you're actually having to deliver for those numbers. I did a, I did a, pro, I, if anyone who works for me at Diage listens to this, they are going to absolutely giggle. I talk about process and, and numbers and I never talked about process and numbers. Um, but I, I would walk out of my office and, and at Diageo and was just so supported and had an epic team. Um, the people who reported through to me, the support, the finance team around us, they were just so epic. And so I could sort of say something quite vague and it had just come back looking 10 times better and amazing. And I did a price build. Uh, about sort of six to eight weeks ago. And I tried to figure out the last time I I personally did a price build on a new product and it was 2002. <laughs> 18 years ago. <laughs> Showing my age. And that was back in the sort of Jack Daniels days where those support structures, you know, weren't, weren't in place. You sort of did it all. So it's just, it's been really fun for me because you're getting your hands dirty, you're rolling your sleeves up. And it's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to sort of get into the mechanics of the wider machine 
and I talk, I talk sales and I talk cases and I talk doing deals more than I ever have. And I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. What's come across, um, before we get to Stuart, what, what uh, in terms of moving into general management, has brand and marketing got the relevance you thought it had now that you're not in it? I think in a company like this, yes. I, I think I'll go to the grave always looking at growth through the lens of consumer and brand. That's just what I've grown up on. So, yeah, I always I always naturally start there for, for wrong or right, but marketing is still for me where the growth and the and the options come from, right? I'm not going to save myself to prosperity. Yeah, that's right. Hey, so Stuart, what happens with you? I mean, you're chief customer officer. Has there been big shifts in how you've operated, or has it been fairly seamless for you? Well, it's been a a very much a polar shift. I mean, um, I've gone from just about the biggest organisation in Australia, from Combank, down to you know what is a, a fairly small operation. But I think at the heart of every marketer is customer, and I think that a lot of marketers, particularly in in big organisations, are pretty disconnected from customers, which I think is a bit of a sad state of affairs. So I'm really lucky in a smaller organisation like High Pages, where my remit covers sales, service, and marketing. So I sit right in the heart of the service and sales team. So over my left shoulder, I'm hearing our escalated service team here take calls from tradies and consumers. And over in front of me, I've got the acquisition team that are signing up new tradies on the phones every day. So I kind of feel like I'm really connected into customers and I've got real-time market research in my ears all day. There's a lot of people probably couldn't handle the noise, but the buzz of it and the connectivity to customers really makes sense to me. And I guess for me, we've always talked about customer experience and customer journeys, and it's becoming a bit of a cliche these days, but I can have an influence beyond just the marketing side of things to make sure that our customers are having the best experience with high pages that I, I never would have had in previous roles. Was there any surprises in making that transition of what you believed, a bit like what I said to Adam, what you thought was universal truth from a, from a marketing and brand perspective at the bank and, and elsewhere, then coming to uh, high pages and going, no, nah, it doesn't quite work like that when you've got a broader, more commercial hands-on role. Look, I think the biggest difference between working in a smaller company and, and a big corporate is just the amount of resource that's available. We, we've got to be very scrappy. We've got to be very hands-on and we've got to really like prioritize every week and every month because I often say we have more good ideas than we've got resources to execute. So um absolutely brand is essential and we've spent a lot of time investing to build brand but you know where we've got very very commercial marketers who who understand the numbers and can optimize through the funnel every single day of the week with good access to data and um but we just don't have an army of people, so we've got to make the most of what we've got. Uh, Stuart, you were, in fact, one of MI3's uh, biggest stories last year was actually you. So um, we better ask you and to loop around on that big brand job that you did last year and, you know, talking about, uh, I think, getting off at the time at the drug of, of paid search and investing in brand. You did some television work with um, The Block and so forth. How's that going now? How do you view that now in a phase where it's COVID and what you're doing now is very different? Well, I think we're benefiting now from the investment we made in the first half of this fin year. As we said before, we took a, a major play by becoming a top tier platinum sponsor, integrated sponsor of The Block. And it was quite transformative for our business, to be honest. Um, we saw new levels of not only brand awareness in the long-term consideration, but commercial returns on both sides of the marketplace that 
that we, we'd never seen before. And those results... That looked like, by the way, that was downloads from tradies for the app and consumers downloading the app to use it. That's the sort of stuff you're talking about. Yeah, inquiry from new tradies to want to come on the platform, um, consumers downloading the app and posting jobs on the platform. We had a very strong period during that time, but it's flowed through to the second half. So I guess once the tide, once you write... You know, once the tide rises and people are more aware of what you do and you bring new customers onto the platform, then then they either repeat in the second half or people that, who are entering the market are more aware of a brand like Hypages and then can can come and experience our service for the first time. So in in an environment where we're all under pressure and we're fighting for, for every scrap of market share, I think we are now benefiting from the raised brand awareness that we built by our major investment in the block. There's no doubt about it. I, do, I want to ask Adam the same thing, but quickly, your channel mix now, your media mix now, Stu, is what? Like, wh- where is your focus? Where is your money going? We, we pretty much invested all of our brand budget or, or the large part of our discretionary brand budget in the block. So it was a big play. That was a 12 or 13 week period where we, we went all in. It was a full, you know, we pushed our hand in and we and we made that play. You know, we're probably only sitting at 10 to 20% of our budget on brand at the moment and the rest is all in performance media. So as I said, we, we played our cards uh, on the bet that the raised brand awareness would benefit us in th- in the second half, and that's playing out. So, Adam, I'm really interested in, in in your perspective on this because you've been a big brand guy now in a, in a small and a small brand where you know you're big on brand, but your investment behind it is more, as you said, on the street events and getting sampling. How does the brand, the traditional brand view, play out for you, and even what Stuart's talking about? Yeah, it's. I talked about this in my interview process. It's sort of one of the biggest watchouts, and since I've started. We are now in national distribution with the two biggest retailers and, and the independents are sort of following suit. So we're, we're a big CPG brand in terms of shelf space. So doing really delightful, small and interesting events that are curated and look gorgeous and go to four to 5,000 people on Instagram and shared a few hundred times, that doesn't cut it when you're at BWS in Toongabbie, right? So... We, I got on board and um, <clears throat> Sue Scalacci, who's, who's been a great supporter of, of what I've done over the years at, at Diageo, she moved over to Cara. And I talked to her about how can, how can you guys support an incubator brand? And that turned into a really big outdoor campaign um, with QMS as our sort of digital outdoor partner. Um, and and, and we, did some, we did some outdoor work because we needed the consumer to start knowing that we existed, our awareness was non-existent, and we needed to show our partners that we're serious about this national distribution. And so we needed their support and shelf space and gondola. And so we had to flip into some pretty big CPG thinking. That was January, February. We kicked off um, the Sunday after Australia Day. Really great program, but we, we can still be agile. We still have this great owned channel and we can do these amazing events and, you know, some of the big brands forget about this stuff that being intimate and shaking hands with the consumer and educating them about this new brand is is vital as well. So I think we're now coming at from two ends. I think that's a really good point, Adam. And I think a lot of marketers these days are very guilty of incrementality, you know, a little thing here or a little thing there and the little one percenters, but... I think in a in a marketplace where consumers are just totally distracted and very very short attention spans and and media overload, it's it's got to be about big place. We've got to get people's attention. We've got to disrupt. 
you know, I'd say 90% of all stuff that I see in the market is just, it's just vanilla and people just don't notice it. And maybe the marketers feel good about themselves, but it's got to be about big plays. Agree. So we talk about, obviously, the sort of do less and, and go bigger. And, you know, I think I walked in and there was, you know, you could count the objectives on two hands. I'm like, right, let's let's cut that down so it's less than, you know, one hand and and really focus on the big jobs to, to be done and focus in on that and invest in that and, and then make a shift and make people aware of us and, and understand us. So, yeah, it's a, it's a long journey on a brand like this, but we, we've got to come from both because I still want to, you know, walk up to, to, to a bar and, and have that two, three-minute conversation about our brand and why you might want to drink it. And that takes time. So, yeah, both ends for us. So as we wind up here, I just want to get a, an outlook from you guys, uh, the takeout on what's next uh, for the, you know, what you can make sense of at the moment and, and the longer-term play. So what's the immediate priorities for you now, Stu, and what's your sense on how this could play out? What's your, your forecasting on worst case, best case, next six months? Well, we're very closely monitoring the market and both internally, um, external movements, and also we're tapping into similar businesses globally to see what's happening in their space. I think our success is going to be very tightly linked to any tightening of lockdown laws, uh, which will just create more confusion amongst tradies and consumers. And is trading an essential service? Can I book a tradie? Can I not? Can I do it safely? So we're going to be closely linked to that. But I think as more and more people are spending more time at home, they're going to want to get the things done around their home that they've been putting off. And I think the, the role that we've played as an industry authority and, and advocates on behalf of both sides of the marketplace is going to place us in a very strong position when we come out of this at the end. Because I think the brands that are prepared to invest and have a point of view and help consumers navigate through this process are going to do well when, when we come out of it. And you are, you do have some lobbying stuff going on in Canberra for the tradies, right? You're taking a pro-tradie sort of position on this. Oh, absolutely we are. And and we need tradies as an essential service and we're, and we're not backing down from that. And, and we believe that we're probably the brand that's speaking with the most authority on behalf of tradies at the moment. Uh, an essential service, Adam. Uh, you may become that in, in, in a couple of months when it's non-alcoholic is essential. Um, what's your uh, sense on how this plays out and your best and worst case scenarios? We're, we're not doing lobbying for non-alcoholic spirits then in Canberra. <laughs> we're warming up to life unusual. We're, we're seeing this as our life for the next little bit. Uh, across the region, that's a whole completely different story. Well, I might just interrupt there. I mean, it, fascinating. I mean, you're Asia Pacific, but you're now ensconced in, in in Sydney. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Sydney. Yeah, Sydney, and you've got multiple markets in Asia, and you are doing all this virtually. And usually, what you need to do is have people sample the product. You need to talk to them. That's a really big, different play. Totally. Like weirdly. I'm in the middle of signing up a new distributor in South Korea, and normally, then I'd go spend a week with him with one of my sort of product guys or girls and spend a week educating bars and clubs and making menus and all that sort of stuff. We can't do that. So my life is on Zoom and trying to work through that. But, you know, our, our founder, Ben Branson, is sending us a, a video every week. And he said, this is life unusual. We are now a digital brand that sells in supermarkets. Um, so our, our work right now is we're working really hard in that hard commerce of online and, and making sure that we're really partnering with our partners on that. Um, we're also trying to find sort of the corners of the world where 
people are looking for what used to be like a gifting thing, but they're now looking for sort of these care packages to come home where we're, you know, seed lips an ingredient. So what we want to send to people's home is a drink and educate them through that. And then continue to work through what flavour means in a digital world or, or, or trial in a, in a digital world. Well, how, how, do, you, how do you get flavour across in a, in a conceptual digital context and not taste actually the, 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 the physical experience? How, how do you go with that? Yeah. So every, every one of our bottles has six separate uh, botanicals in them. So we're getting our brand ambassadors who are the guys and girls around the world who are expert drink makers who are going into bars and educating. And we're going to start like a little series of, of saying, well, if you want to make this at home, and this is why I like this flavor and, and this botanical does that to the balance of the drink. So there's a bit of an education going on rather than, rather than it just being the pretty picture and then in the physical world, handing over the trial. So we're just going another layer down. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, listen, um, Stuart, I'll leave the final thoughts with you. You're on the board of Admar and you're um, you know, on the Marketing Academy. You're, you're involved there. Any thoughts for your peers in marketing across any sector, no matter what? What's your, what's your key sort of thoughts for them? I think more than ever, it's about being relevant. There's, there's a lot of stuff that you can see hitting the market that's just a little bit tone deaf. We see it every day. Uh, we had to make some adjustments to our campaign. We had a campaign against tradies that was about going to the footy and traveling. So we quickly pulled them off the market. So we've got, you've got to be hyper relevant. More than ever, we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of our customers that are, that are some of them are anxious. Some of them are, some of them are optimistic. Some of them are at home going crazy with young kids running around while they're trying to work. Be relevant, but keep investing. Don't don't back out if you can. You got to win that argument in the boardroom. Keep investing in your brand and 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 be there for when sentiment comes back and and when consumers come back because they'll thank you for it. And your leadership are, are, are buying that from buying that line. Yeah, definitely. We we are. Um, you know, we're not we're not retreating. If anything, we're going on the front foot. Adam, any any couple of couple of final thoughts for you about um, your peers and marketing peers? Now that you're no longer one, I think I'll always be one. I think Stuart's nailed it. Fight in the boardroom, don't retreat, and and stay relevant. And I think more more than ever, you know, that tone deaf stuff. Like, just check yourself before you leave the door with a message. You know, because oh, I agree with Stuart. Some of the stuff is like really missing the mark. So I think there's just an, an extra layer of, of care and empathy that needs to take place before anything that leaves the front door for the consumer. Just both of you, in your experience, how and why does that happen? How, how does tone deaf, when we've got an army of people that are checking and making sure, uh, in some of the bigger companies anyway, but how does it get through? What, what Why does that happen? Well, I think I said before that a lot of marketers in big organisations are just a bit out of touch. Um, they're, they're probably trying to preserve their own budgets or their own status in your, in an organization and and maybe um, just forget about what it's life out there in in the real world although having said that I think that there, there will be there, there will be job cuts and there will be trimming back of, of teams in marketing all across Australia in, in a bunch of different organizations and we've already seen it so hopefully one of the outcomes of this is we become a little bit more tuned into the real world because you know in a, in sydney most of the marketers probably live in the eastern suburbs north shore and they think that everyone else is like them and the reality is that they're not and uh hopefully at the end of this we all come out maybe being a little more humble adam why do you think it happens how does it how does that get through that stuff not that you've done anything yourself in your career you wouldn't have messed up i don't think <laughs> i've messed up so many times 
Um, I just think that sometimes the objectives that sit on on the wall for a business and and the sentiment of what's happening in the world for you know the sort of mainland Australia and and the consumers is is different. They don't align. So in a time of stress and panic, some decisions are made. You know, ultimately thinking the decisions in those rooms are right, and they probably just don't spend enough time understanding the water temperature outside to really get a read on it. Good chat, gents. Thanks for joining. Stay safe. Thanks so much. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.